Well, good morning, good morning. We finish our series today looking at the 12 disciples of Jesus. And I had pivoted more than a couple times this week as far as what I thought I was going to talk about. I thought that we would end by looking at the Great Commission and why that certainly would have been a, a fantastic place to go. I decided to um, not go that route. So we're going to look a little bit after uh, the Great Commission takes place, after the ascension of Jesus. Now, Jesus' ministry was one that was very active, and uh, it had some points throughout it that we might consider stops and starts, but Jesus' ministry didn't end with his death, and it didn't end with the resurrection, and it didn't even end with his ascension into heaven. In fact, if we look at those events, those events really created the fire, fanned the flames, and provided what I would call eternal fuel for the fire for a ministry that is still very active today because after Jesus resurrected from the dead and came back onto this earth and met again with his disciples, he imparted upon them the gift of the Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit was to be their guide, but not just their guide, those who uh, consider themselves to be his believers, our guides as well. And so Jesus' ministry is one that has spanned for thousands of years and is still currently as active as ever. And I think in part, that's why we look at the success of Christianity over millennia, really, right? Because of just how active the Spirit is in each and every one of our lives. Now, Jesus left the earth physically, but as I said, on the day of Pentecost, made sure that we would never, ever be alone. And in Acts chapter 1, the Spirit leads the disciples uh, to repair a wrong by replacing the disciple Judas, who had betrayed Jesus. So there's actually a 13th disciple. Who shot? Who shot? Everybody's like, maybe you are, maybe you're not. Probably shouldn't be, right? But there's a 13th disciple. And so we're going to take a look at that 13th disciple, and we're going to dive into Acts chapter 2 as well as we look at the fellowship of the believer. But as we get to Acts chapter 1, Peter is kind of firmly in charge at this point. Peter, the rock on which uh, Jesus would build his church, is kind of calling the shots, but isn't so necessarily doing so all by himself. And so um, in verse 20 uh, of Acts chapter 1, he quotes two Psalms, one Psalm 69, or chapter 69, verse 25, which says, may their place be deserted. Let there be no one to dwell in their tents. And then he also quotes Psalm 109, 8, which states, may his days be few. May another take place of his leadership. Now he quotes these Psalms in order to kind of provide the justification, not even justification necessarily, but just the explanation for why they were looking to replace Judas's position, because it was something that was found to be kind of prophesied about or, or projected to happen, if you will, in scripture. And so Peter's interest is in following what scripture says should take place. Now, this is a major decision, as you might guess. Uh, the man who would be chosen to make the 11-12 again is really in charge of restoration, right? Restoring their group back to what it was supposed to be with the original choice of the 12. And before this takes place, there's some things that happen in this passage that I think we can't ignore. Things that are really good lessons for us, things that we should emulate, things that we should chase after. And so one of them is this, before making this decision, they come together to pray. 
They come together as a group and they devote themselves to prayer. In Acts chapter 1, verses 12 through 14, it says, Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which was near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to an upper room where they were staying, Peter and John, James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. Not to be confused with Judas Iscariot, because at this point, uh, he's no longer with us, right? Now, verse 14 says, All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his Brothers, so what do we learn from this? And I think that it's this major or major decisions. I think I said discussions, but major discussions decisions should be approached in accord with other believers through prayer and petition, right? So as we are having these major discussions, as we are looking to make these major decisions in our lives, I think that it's important that we have that counsel in our life that we can go to, that we can ask to pray with us, that we can ask to seek God's wisdom with us, that we can come together as a group, as a whole, so that we are not alone in our decision-making. We fly solo far too often, and we talked about that uh, really recently of, of how there's not really a badge of honor that we receive for going through things alone. There, there's no extra uh, portion put into our cup because somehow we decided to suffer in silence, right? Or to take the weight of the world on our shoulders. We're not designed to do things that way. We're not supposed to do things that way. We are supposed to be in fellowship with one another. And so it's extremely important to me and to you and to all of us that we come together as groups in one accord to lift up these important decisions and discussions in our life in prayer so that God can have his say. In the end, in the end, yes, the decision is yours. You will have to live with it. You'll have to deal with any of the fallout if that takes place, but you don't have to be alone in preparing for your choice. You don't have to be alone in preparing for your choice. And I think that it is important, at least I can tell you from my perspective, it's important for me to seek the wisdom of others because I know this is going to shock you, but I don't have everything figured out. Now, don't tell my wife I said that. If she comes in here, I said I had everything figured out. But I don't have everything figured out. I don't have all the answers. I, I've only lived on this earth for 33 years, and I've only been a mature adult for roughly six or seven of those, right? So... I, I, I have some weak spots. I have some weakness. Yeah, I maybe overshot a little, but I, I have some, some weaknesses in my life. I have some weaknesses in my decision-making process. I don't think through everything all the time in every way. And so it's really good for me to be surrounded by those that think differently than I do, that have different strengths than I have, that have different perspectives than I have, that are more detail-oriented. I'm, I'm more of a big-picture guy, and I forget the fine details. And Jericho sometimes will be like, well, what about this? And I'm like, oh, we'll figure it out, right? I'm that guy. I'm the we'll figure it out guy. We'll figure it out. It'll happen. Like, we'll figure it out. It'll get there. But I need somebody to come through and refine everything and refine everything. And so it's good for us to have a group of fellow godly-minded, like-minded believers who can go to God 
And it's also good sometimes to have people there with us that don't have a ton of skin in the game. Does that make sense? Who aren't necessarily going to be negatively or positively affected one way or the other because then the emotion for them is taken out of it. And they can come to you logically and they can come to you reasonably and offer their side of things and say, hey, by the way, keep in mind, I, I mean, I, I don't really have, it's not going to benefit me or hurt me one way or the other. I, this is just what I feel like God's saying. Th- this is what my prayer has led me to. It's good to have that. It's good to have that. And the disciples, as they were praying through together and as they were, were focusing on this topic together, and, and guys, really, the topic wasn't let's replace Judas. The topic was what does God want us to do next, right? Like Jesus had just uh, given them the gift of the Holy Spirit and he had ascended into heaven and this is really their next step. And their decision was, we need to just go find somewhere quiet and devote ourselves to prayer. We need to go and we need to seek the will of God. We need to figure out what's next. And what they came to was, well, we need to replace Judas. We need to replace Judas. It's, it's what scripture says, right? And there's a lesson there too. A lot of times when what we're praying for, what we are praying for matches up with scripture. That's kind of one of those like light bulb moments that goes off and thinks, well, this is aligning pretty well with, with what God is saying here. And it's aligning well with what I'm feeling here. And it's aligning well with what other people are saying God's leading them to. And so I can bring all of these facts together and now make a really good decision, right? And I can feel confident and I can feel good about my decision. And so the disciples felt led by scripture and prayer to, to look for Judas's replacement. And so they pray, which is a continuation of kind of what had been happening. And they cast lots for this decision. Now, this is the other thing that I think is significant. And, and in my life, I don't know about you, but um, I've always been taught that Christians probably shouldn't gamble, Right. Like it just shouldn't happen. And, and um, it's always been taught to me through the lens of, well, you remember when they were gambling, they were casting lots over Jesus's robe and, and as he's on the cross and the, the Roman soldiers are down there and they're literally gambling over uh, who gets his clothing, right? And basically this is how casting lots works. It's kind of like Yahtzee. Everybody gets a rock, they write their name on it, they have their symbol on it, they put it in some sort of container, I'm assuming like a cup, they shake it, and then when one falls out, that's the winner, right? That's the, whoever's name is on it, congratulations, you got it, right? Yahtzee, then you have to yell Yahtzee in order to, in order to claim your prize. I'm just kidding, not exactly how it took place, but that is really how casting lots took place, and so we see in this passage that they cast lots, and I thought, well, how interesting, how interesting, but, but more than it being interesting, what does that teach us? What does that tell us? Well, they, they do this. They put two names in the cup. They shake it up, and it leads to a man by the name of Matthias, or Matthias, however you want to say it, being chosen as the replacement of Judas. So he's number 13, but really number 12 because Judas was erased, right? Now, what I need us to understand first and foremost is this wasn't scandalous. This wasn't the um, disciples doing something they shouldn't have been doing. This wasn't them like making really good choices to come together and pray and then making a really bad choice and be like, we'll just gamble for it, right? What it tells us is this. It appears they could do no wrong, right? It appears that they could do no wrong. And this is what I think it's important for us as believers to understand that sometimes... Sometimes there's no wrong choice. 
Sometimes there's no wrong choice. And here's why I think that's important for us. Because if you're anything like me, making the wrong choice terrifies you. It terrifies you. I am a perfectionist. I am ultra competitive. I look at everything through a competitive lens. Surprising, right, Jake? Surprising. I'm super competitive. And so like my desire to make good choices actually isn't in making good choices. It's just being competitive with other people's choices. It's like, I made a good choice. Look at that dummy. They made a bad choice. My choice wins, right? And that probably in itself is sinful. I need to work on that. But I am just a competitive human being. And I, 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 making the wrong choice, picking the wrong answer, doing the wrong thing terrifies me. It terrifies me. And a lot of times when we get terrified by choice, we freeze. We freeze. And instead of choosing to do something good, we make an, a terrible choice of doing nothing at all, right? Of nothing at all, of just getting to the place where we aren't doing anything. We aren't doing anything. And we have to do our best to avoid that. Sometimes as Christians, there's no wrong choice. If we are choosing between two absolutely godly things that really both have benefits, then sometimes we just need to pick one. Sometimes we just need to pick one. And that's kind of the dilemma that the disciples were in. They had these two guys and there wasn't like something that led them to pick one over the other. There was nothing that said, well, this is the guy and that guy like hasn't paid his taxes in a couple years or, or, or whatever the issue is. They, they were both by all accounts, upstanding, moral, godly men who would have been great choices to fill Judas's spot. And so they left it up to God. They left it up to God, not chance. I want to be clear about that. Not chance. Proverbs 16.33 says, The lot cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. Here's the thing. I don't describe to happenstance. I don't. I don't believe in luck. I don't. I don't think that, you know, some get lucky and some don't. I think that God has a plan for each and every one of us, and so when something good happens to somebody else, that's just kind of part of the plan that God has had for them. I don't believe in luck. I'm not superstitious. I'm not even a little stitious. Like as a football coach, I am surrounded by individuals who are superstitious, who wear the same pants and the same shirt, and I wore this underwear last time and we won, so I washed it. I'm like, thank goodness, but I'm wearing that underwear again, and I'm like, yeah, you're a weirdo. That's not going to help us win anything, but there are people out there that really believe that if they dress the same and they do this the same and they go through the same routine, and I can't have lasagna today because last week we won and I had chicken noodle soup, so... Even though it's a thousand degrees outside, I'm going to eat chicken noodle soup. And I'm like, you're weird. And who likes soup, right? Like, I'm, I don't believe in any of that stuff. I just don't. And I don't think you as believers should either. I don't think you should. You're not lucky. You're also not unlucky. Okay? God has a plan. He has a plan. And we need to be able to trust that plan and trust the God who is in control and trust the God who makes good out of bad and trust the God of restoration that can turn graves into gardens, that can turn death into life, that is literally in control of the sun 
setting and the sun rising that is control of the earth rotating that is in control of every single thing every single thing god is in control and too many of us live life as if that's not the case too many of us live life as if we have some modicum of control like like somehow some way something we do is going to drastically affect the outcomes and and hear me i'm not saying that our choices don't affect our lives. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is that God can take all things and make them good things. And God can also justly punish those who need punishment. And God can bless those who deserve to be blessed. And God is God. I guess that's what I'm saying. God is God. Make it a t-shirt. God is God. He is everything. He is everything. And he's got you. And it's okay. And sometimes there's no wrong choice. I think God is in control. And what comes in life is what needed to be. Both fame and failure are from the Lord. Hear that and be comfortable with it. Both fame and failure are from the Lord. I have become a better person. I have learned more. I have become stronger. I have become wiser through my failures far more than I ever have through the things in life that I have found success in. It is those defeats. It is those defeats. And I use them in air quotes because they're not really defeats. They're just opportunities for God to make us better. It is those things in life that have turned me into who I am today. And if it wasn't for all those things that from a a 30,000 foot view, if everything was sunshine and rainbows, I'd say, yeah, it's great that I didn't have to go through any of those things. It's those things that have made me have any amount of good that I have within me. If there is good within me, it is from the Lord. And it is from lessons that I have learned on the backside of failures. But in both fame and failure, God is on the throne. God is on the throne. The only wrong thing Peter could have done in this situation was make the decision in isolation. That's the only wrong thing he could have done is to not have included his brothers in Christ, is to have just said, we're not going to pray about it. We're not going to ask God about it. I'm just going to choose it. That's the only bad thing he could have done. Because again, like I said, we are not called to be that way. We are called to be in fellowship with one another. And that's what Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47 talks about, where it says, they devoted themselves to, to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. You see, we find success in one another. We find success in one another. We are better because of the connection that we have with one another. This process that we read about, this beautiful picture of what church and fellowship should be in Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47, is all voluntary. This isn't under compulsion. 
This isn't under guilt. This is out of a desire to be with one another and to be better. And because of that desire, they do all of these things that we talk about. They devote themselves to godly teaching, to prayer, to fellowship. They find commonality with each other. They're not looking for the faults in one another. They are devoted to one another. They voluntarily gave of their abundance to one another. They opened their homes to one another. They focused on generosity and praise and togetherness. And it was enticing It was enticing because we are told that they found favor with all that daily there were being added to their number. Those who saw how they were living life together and thought, I need to be a part of that. I need to be a part of that. I need that in my life. I need that fellowship. I need that togetherness. And the Lord added to their number daily. How? Through salvations. The kingdom of God is growing through their willingness to be vulnerable and attached to one another. We need each other. We need each other. I'm not afraid to tell you guys, I need you. I need you. I need each and every one of you guys in my life. Each and every one of you offer something to me that the others don't. You don't maybe notice it. Those little words of encouragement, those little quick, hey, how was your week? Those little short segments that we have sometimes together on Sunday mornings are what carry me through my week and all the craziness that I have to deal with to get back here on a Sunday where I know that I am going to be filled and refreshed and together with common-minded believers who are seeking the God that I love and who through the way that they treat me, show me all the time that I am loved and that I am not alone. Sunday mornings for me are therapy. Sunday mornings for me are restoration. Sunday mornings for me are the time where my body and my soul heals. And don't get me wrong, I pour a lot out on Sunday mornings. I leave here and I'm exhausted. I'm exhausted. But it's this I can't even explain it. It's this overwhelming sense of joy and just peace that I have after I leave this place. And it's not anything that I'm doing. It's God and it's all of you. And I'm hoping, I'm hopeful that that is your church experience here at Crosspoint, that you come and that when you can look at it and when you can dive into it and when you can just really take a look at everything, you can say, I'm better because I'm here. I'm better because I'm here. I keep coming back because it makes me better. I keep coming back because I want to be there. We need each other. We need you here. I need you here. We need you present. I need you present. We need your prayer. I need your prayer. We need you. We are truly, truly better together. And we cannot take that from grant, for granted. And if there's anything we learn from the disciples, it's that. It's that. That we are better, we are stronger, we are wiser, we are fuller, we are more whole when we are together. Stop living your life in isolation. Stop struggling alone. Stop trying to take the reins away from God. Stop trying to fly solo in ministry. Stop trying to find, fly solo in parenting. 
Stop trying to find solo in your finances. Stop trying to fly solo in all of life's decisions. Find support. Be supported. I've learned this in life, and I'm talking to you as a person, again, who has been diagnosed with clinical anxiety and clinical depression, and for much of my adult life was medicated for it. There's some vulnerability. I'm talking to you through that lens, and I'm telling you not to be alone. And I'm also telling you that if that's really how you feel and you don't want that, it doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't. There's no judgment here. There's no condemnation here. There is love and there is support. And if somebody doesn't greet you that way, let me know and I will drop a people's elbow right on their face. <laughs> Let's be together. Let's live life together. Let's pray. God, I come to you right now, and I thank you so much for this day. I thank you that you are a God of encouragement, that you are a God who has built in support layers for us, who understands, God, how difficult this life is for us, who understands that we are not God, and as we chase after you, life can just be difficult, and things can be tough. And God, there are so many issues and so many fights that we have in this life from financial to health to relationship to, I mean, just every avenue, there are battles, God. There are battles. Life is not easy. It's not. It's not. But you designed us to be able to come together, find the support that we need, and to push through with that support and with that love. And God, I pray for everybody here this morning that they feel that. And God, that if they don't, you would just crush them with the weight of your love that you would just crush them with the, the weight of your grace, that you would force their eyes open to the life that is available to them. God, part of the issue we face is that we have been taught in our world that we are supposed to be egocentric, that we are supposed to be self-centered, that we are supposed to look out for number one, that we are always supposed to go and do and follow whatever our will is. But God, when we do that, that puts us on an island. That puts us on an island and there's no room for anybody else on that island. Because if we admit that we're struggling, if we admit that through our self-centeredness and our ego that we have isolated ourselves on this island and that on that island we are unhappy, then the picture that we have painted for our life, it cracks and it peels away from the canvas. And God, that's a scary place to be. It's a scary, scary place to be. But God, we shouldn't live a life that is based in fear. We should live a life that is based in fellowship. And through that fellowship, we fight because there is strength in numbers. And you are a good God who designed life to be that way. And Lord, I am thankful. I ask you to be with each and every person 
in this room today, each and every person who's normally in this room today that for whatever reason could not be here, each and every person that is watching us online, God, help them to know that they are not alone, that they have community, that they are loved. I ask these things in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. Let's stand right now. Let's worship. If there's something that you need prayer for, come pray with me. Come use the stage as an altar. Go directly to God and pray to him. If you don't have a relationship with God and that's something in your life that you would like to change, come talk to me about what that looks like. I would love to have that conversation with you. It would be my greatest joy. Otherwise, now is a time for you to worship and to reflect and to give God the glory that he is due.